Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. And I want to remind you, as always, that this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. It does not constitute working with a mental licensed mental health provider. And we do recommend you seek one out in your immediate area. So we have a returning guest here, David Kalili. Got it right this time. Uh, who's going to be talking with us about on the subject of poly and especially poly and attachment. Uh, which there are those who would question why is this an aspect, but in today's age, as we look at the variety of ways that we have to survive, and especially with the way the economy is going, who knows? There might be an aspect where poly becomes much more of a financially stable than just a two-person household. I just say that as one of the things we have to think about because we got to learn how to survive and change as this world is changing. So, David Clilly is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a board-certified sexologist focusing on working with men, couples, therapy, and multi-health, uh, multi-ethnic individuals. He founded the Rouse Relational Wellness in 2021 in order to address shame and anxiety that show up in all too often in sex and relationships. He received his master's degree in counseling psychology from Golden, Golden Gate University, and a master's degree in sexual sexuality studies from San Francisco State University, where his work focused on Middle Eastern queer folks and kink and trauma. He specializes in working with multi-heritage couples and those who have immigrated recently or are first-generation American-born. So, welcome back to Untying Knots, David. Thank you for having me, Perry. It's good to be here. Yeah. Not a problem. So, we're talking today about the subject of polyamory. Or poly, well, I'm sure there's those who also are into poly would refer it differently. But for most, it's the idea of poly, which means that there is more than one relationship partnership going on at that time. Right. Yeah. Right. So take it away. Yeah, there's right. I mean, you're you're hitting on a, a piece where um, there's so many different ways of um, naming the different type of relationship structure and the different types, different ways of structuring a relationship under the umbrella of, mm-hmm. yeah, polyamory, open uh, relationships, ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. So I recently heard someone really um, campaign against the term ethical non-monogamy because they felt like um, monogamy is inherently unethical. And so mm-hmm. why even make the distinction? It was an interesting um, discussion. Yeah, well, I, yeah, <laughs> especially because that we're adding the word ethical or that there is some sort of ethics that are in play that we have to recognize that we don't commonly recognize. Right. Uh, it creates yeah. a qualifier for it that just like, is it a necessary qualifier? Right. Yeah. And I think in, in definitely with some clients that I've worked with, I mean, and also friends and um, people I know, mm-hmm. I've seen non-ethical forms of non-monogamy where it's been more of just kind of infidelity or cheating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but kind of labeled as non-monogamy and done in that way mm-hmm. but yeah i think for the main purposes of it you know thinking about attachment and polyamory or open relationships um having you know multiple forms of sex or love with other people 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, it can really show up in different ways uh, through an attachment lens for people. There was a study that came out, um, I want to say like 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was called Attached to Non-Monogamy. And they, they found that uh, people that ranked high on avoidant attachment styles show a lot of interest in polyamory, but they're mm -hmm. actually the least likely to engage in polyamory or ethical non-monogamy. Okay. Which is a really interesting thing. Yeah. So let's take a step back. And yeah. one of the, just as we've been beginning to define the aspect of the various polys uh -huh. and so forth, I think it's important for us to start identifying the aspects about the attachments. Because uh -huh. after so the people are beginning yeah, to understand what point. the difference is and sort of may have a clue about where they are, if they're exploring mm -hmm. it or where, you know, they got more work to do. Yeah. Great. Thank you for um, reorienting us in that way. Yeah, that's very true. So there's uh, typically there's the belief of four main types of uh, attachment styles. There's secure, anxious, anxious avoidant, and disorganized attachment. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think of it in a lot of ways as you would think of like object permanence. I think of it as relationship permanence. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for people with an anxious attachment style, they they benefit from having those reminders that the relationship is still there, is still present, is still loving and, and active and engaged. And so they're, mm -hmm. they're going to be seeking reassurance in some ways. You know, they may um, have some unease if their text isn't replied to within a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. or they may have some unease around, um, you know, the frequency that they see their partner. Mm -hmm. uh, an avoidant attachment attached person doesn't really they want to have a, you know, attachments, they want to have relationships, but it's not, it doesn't take up as much time or space in their mind. Um, mm -hmm. And they have a lot of unconscious strategies to keep people at a comfortable distance. Um, and as I say comfortable distance, I'm reminded that, you know, a lot of these strategies, that's important to say that a lot of these strategies are devised as a, like a protective strategy, an adaptive mm -hmm. strategy to, to a person's childhood environment, where, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's parents or other relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, uh, avoiding attachment folks, uh, one tell also is when, you know, when they're in a relationship, they're having some distance from that person, but then when the relationship ends, all of a sudden they're really wanting to re-engage in that relationship and make mm -hmm. it work again. Mm -hmm. That chase mm -hmm. kind of, in, uh, happens. Mm -hmm. Um, disorganized you see with people who have had a, a significant amount of trauma, there's, it's just Unfortunately, they had a lot of inconsistent uh, and also abusive uh, mm -hmm. experiences growing up in their home where they are not sure that the person that they're supposed to trust and that's supposed to take care of them will take care of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I prefer that term to borderline, although borderline is the term I used mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then secure attachment are people who, uh, what it sounds like, they're, they're certain in their attachment to others, they 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 know what they like and what they don't like. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that they don't need to do any work on themselves or any work in their relationships. I, mm -hmm. I want to remind folks is you don't get a hall pass just because you have secure attachment. <laughs> right, right. Um, Relating to each other is still an ongoing effort. It does yeah. not stop just because you've been together five, 10, 20, 30 years. Right, yeah. Or just because you you won the lottery and didn't have a you know significant trauma growing up equally with the relationship too yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because I think as you talked about the aspect of borderline, I would also throw in the question too about where does things like narcissism come into play too with the sense of these yeah. relationships and how it can get abused under that framework mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Like the, well, uh, cause I know I'd also been watching some stuff from Dr. Romney, but they're talking about the idea that the narcissist is essentially finding a way to use it to justify their cheating. Uh huh. Yeah. As opposed to it's actually doing the work in the relationship of relating uh-huh. with each other, caring for each other, all of those things. Yeah. No, that's a good point, right? It's, um, what is it actually doing for the relationship? What What is, how is it feeding or nourishing the relationship by, mm-hmm. by being open in that way? Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. the intention behind this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think there's one of those where that's a one very much a conversation that has to go into the poly relationship, but it's also being aware of who's might be misusing it. Yeah. And I think that's a tricky part of this work is, um, you know, we are trying to help people. So I I work with a a bunch of people that are in different um, stages of openness, as Mm -hmm. as I said. Um, and then, you know, our clinicians here at Rouse Relational Wellness, they all either also have experience in polyamory. I have personal experience in polyamory, or they have a lot of interest in it. And mm-hmm. we often talk about, you know, how much guidance do we give? You know, there's a lot of psychoeducation that we can give around polyamory and open relationships and the different structures. And mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly useful for people that are just entering the community to just know, you know, some of the the verbiage and know some of the structures mm-hmm. and the books and resources that are out there, but then yeah, how to help them kind of shed light on why why they're going about it? What is their motivation? What are their expectations out of polyamory? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and what are they expecting to change or be fixed or mm-hmm. are they saying air quotes or be improved or go away by opening up? Mm-hmm. or just have that sense of permission yeah 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 you know I'm, I'm reminded of um as we talk about agreements and structures uh one of my mentors martha cowpey she's um a sex and relationship therapist in the midwest and she used to be a midwife um she talked she's actually a this might be a flat statement but she's mm-hmm. not the biggest proponent on agreements within a polyamorous relationship mm-hmm. Because she finds that agreements within open relationships more often than not are being careful in the way I frame this, but um, she finds that it's a way of avoiding conflict. Mm. If you just have enough agreements in place and enough boundaries and enough walls, then you won't ever have to have a a hurt feeling and have to, you know, confront your partner about that, which I thought was an interesting way of looking at it. Right. I can definitely see where she's, where she's going with that standpoint, because there's always, it kind of sort of comes back to an issue of who's actually being accountable, who's holding them accountable. Can you hold them accountable without it be going into an aggressive authoritarian place? Yeah. As well. Yeah. (laughs) As much as I hate to say this, there's many ways that are, well, the way our country is running right now is we're trying to have so many different agreements. So no one actually gets, has to actually deal with being hurt or actually dealing with being, being accountable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that accountability piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I stepped outside of our agreements. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hurt mm-hmm. you. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is that accountability, and now what's the atonement? Right. Yeah, I like we're like building off of, but uh, with the atonement piece, the conversation that I have with people around infidelity or disclosures around that is, mm-hmm. um, how do you seek justice? Like, what is what mm-hmm. does justice mean to you? Do you need to see the person feeling what you felt, mm-hmm. and then I try to guide them into being like, well, that's not going to help, at least in my mm-hmm. mind. Um, or do you want to see, you know, the actions that are taking place to, for repair and recovery? And mm-hmm. I think it's a, a helpful framework to. Because I've seen some couples where it just really feels like, and I don't think it's a conscious thing. Um, it's just the the justice is repeating the hurt. It's just mm-hmm. kind of keeping mm-hmm. the person one down and mm-hmm. saying, you mm-hmm. fucked up, you're going to stay down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, one of the big things too, that whether it's in the poly relationship, but in the, even in any of the other relationships people have, Especially when we're talking about those who have grown up, those uh, what's going on in the family system is where the that one down that I need you to feel exactly what I've felt experiences. But guess what? You can if I felt sadness doesn't mean you're not going to feel instead of sadness, you're going to feel anger. You're going to have to feel fear. So unless you can perhaps purpose, no, not purpose, unless you can with certainty and guarantee that there's going to be a one-to-one experience count, uh-huh. that thing can actually backfire on you massively. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, with Martha Kelpie's view of, you know, kind of being against these agreements, I, I get it, but I think, you know, it's mm-hmm. good to have those considerations and agreements and then maybe get to the piece that she's talking about of, you know, working on the ability to not mm-hmm. be conflict mm-hmm. avoidant. Mm-hmm. talk it through mm-hmm. yeah yeah well definitely because i think there still has to be that aspect and working of the communication because again even then the agreement itself had to be communicated and worked out in the first detail which again is one of the things that i think is one of the misconceptions when talking about poly is there's a lot more there's i wouldn't say more but there's a different type of work that goes into the relationship than what goes into a monogamous relationship yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, when I talk to people about, you know, their ideas of opening up or not, or what, what they would have, there is also just a, a, a timepiece, just a very concrete, you know, calendaring issue. And that's a big joke in the poly community is like being able to kind of share calendars, you know, mm-hmm. being able to calendar together. Um, but realistically, yeah. What are you hoping to get out of opening up or what are you hoping to get out of closing? I've worked with mm-hmm. couples who are closing their relationship after a little while and they're finding it's not working for them anymore. Mm-hmm. So just kind of like helping them think through all the, the ways that are going to come out, uh, ways that they can benefit or not in this. Mm-hmm. And I, with attachment, I think about like um, something that I work with couples on is protest behaviors that show up when one partner is about to go on a date or, or do whatever thing that, is kind of threatening the relationship to Mm. the anxious person's mind and really trying to label it appropriate if it is the case a protest behavior um but to find ways for them to kind of talk more directly about uh, hey i'm anxious right now i'm nervous i'm worried Mm. that you're gonna you know xyz with this person 
um, and being able to speak to it directly rather than an argument or, mm-hmm. a, you know, a snide remark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it's the understanding too, what's the difference between the snide remark that's actually meant to be passive aggressive and which one is actually meant to wound. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, I know you'll reveal as we go on, but mm-hmm. you know, we talk about working with couples and then you mm-hmm. know, it makes me think about naming uh, abusive comments or mm-hmm. abusive remarks or mm-hmm. power plays. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that brings back uh, something that I was just talking with um, my therapist earlier today when I had my mm-hmm. session was the, issue of where we need to be reminded that just because we're speaking the same language because uh-huh. we all have the same definitions for the word right yeah. and whether or not that we're all talking about the same thing i mean as i often say with couples we're talking about the blue sky great we agree that it's the color blue but one of you believes that it's more of a red blue the other one believes it's more of a green blue <laughs> there's overlapping the blue but there's no differences on that hue variance right <laughs> and yeah, you have to define it all yes so that brings up that aspect of where is this communication that's going to be going into this agreement or contract is actually using matching different uh, language that is also using the same definition yeah i mean we're even you can even go into the you know how sex is defined because mm-hmm. then well you know or who is a safe enough person to have have sex with mm-hmm. i know some partner or some uh, partnerships where having a, having sex with a mutual friend is absolutely okay and other partnerships where having sex with a mutual friend is absolutely a no-go mm-hmm. and they have very convincing reasons on either end and you know if you were to kind of partner them up together there would be a miscommunication or misalignment of assumptions yeah. which comes which comes up even more just as much even in a monogamous relationship because i know i sometimes when i'm talking to clients who are looking at the idea of dating and looking mm-hmm. at relationships i tell them i often say have you figured out what your emotional type is nice. you probably know what your physical type is and i also yeah. put that into your monetary financial type is uh-huh. you know what your <laughs> emotional type is And ultimately, if we're supposed to split it across those three, the emotional one needs to be 50 or 51% of the relationship. The other two break up, make up the rest. Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree. Giving them that language and that uh, encouragement to look in that direction Mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. Because the I often say, I have to remind people is people get married for more than just love. Yeah. Yeah. It may be in the mix, (laughs) but again, it's not the only thing that there is a reason the marriage is happening yeah 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 and so i think you know helping them think through yeah what is it that they're they're hoping to get out of this mm-hmm. what is you know some some couples will treat this as a way to you know save the relationship mm-hmm. and or as a way to um uh to work through an infidelity or or cheating you know, mm-hmm. they kind of open the relationship as a reaction to cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different views on whether or not that's going to work. And I'm not going to say, you know, yes or no in one way, just because it depends on case by case. But mm-hmm. I think there is benefit in being able to start a process in a, in a whole way, mm-hmm. you know, in a very direct way 
we don't all get that benefit. People change. So it's possible to go from, you know, an infidelity to then opening up. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, having that language, having that, those shared definitions, having shared values is really Mm -hmm. important. I find, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you know that they're, even if you don't have those concrete agreements for every little thing, you know, that the values are aligned and they have, you know, a similar way of thinking mm-hmm. or approaching to the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm was curious then as we move out of the binary of male, female, how does this start showing up in the non-binary, the LGBT, the trans environment around poly? It's, far more um accepted and open than in mm-hmm. more kind of straight leaning communities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um well i mean I, I should you know name I, i'm in the bay area i was born and raised in the bay area mm-hmm. the only time that i lived outside of the bay area was austin texas which is not essentially the bay area <laughs> right. the so you know i have a very bubbled view and Mm -hmm. kind of surrounding and so you know i talked to someone who just moved here and they're like yeah everyone wants to tell me that they're polyamorous here i don't care that you're polyamorous but everyone wants to let me know um Mm -hmm. and so it um it's very common here and it's very common in in major cities Mm -hmm. um and i think the the bigger issue around it for for queer folks non-binary folks trans folks is um I guess not having that be an extra level of stigma on them from, mm. from outsiders, mm-hmm. um, you know, that more of an, uh, an acceptance piece. So could you say more about that? Cause, uh, cause it's interesting. The fact that it's happening more in cities, which I mean, you've got a divert a diverse population yep. there, but you also got a much higher cost of living in place too. Right. I was just thinking about what you were saying. Yeah. I have, I have a friend, uh, they are in a um, like a V type relationship, and all three of them live together. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking about buying a home. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're all, you're you're set. <laughs> what is a V type of relationship? Um, the my friend is the 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 hinge in mm-hmm. that V, and they're dating or married to one and dating another. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two people are not dating each other. Okay. Um, so the, the friend is the the hinge and the V, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Which, um, trying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so actually speaking about, because before we started, right, we talked yeah. a bit, a bit <laughs> about the uh, something in geek culture. One of the most classic examples of a love triangle that has been somewhat heated is the characters from the Marvel Comics X-Men, the love triangle between Cyclops, marvel's girl slash phoenix whichever name she's using at this particular point in time (laughs) and wolverine and it's been a a dance back and forth which in many ways has had i'm just going to use phoenix as the hinge character Uh in it and i think what the more recent i think is the hickman run within these last several years they somehow found some sort of arrangement between them where uh phoenix's bedroom is in the middle and cyclops and wolverine have rooms on either side of hers and i think (laughs) the main access room is still through her room Uh uh-huh oh or i'm trying to remember what i saw on the map it was either the main access to the three rooms was through her room or it was through their either their periphery rooms with hers just in the middle which meant where is she where does her in and out aspect come right play so 
there's presence of where this is being explored, but also where it is the, the dynamic that's going on, even in the geek world. In the geek yeah. But then again, how many times have they put the love's trust triangle story in so much material? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know how uh, X-Men readers are taking to this kind of opening up or more direct? I don't remember most people talking too much about that element of what's been going on in the last few years. Most of them are talking much more about the rest of the structure of the universe that got rebuilt. And I think, yeah. And I think that's the thing is, you know, um, there's a lot of attention on put on polyamorous relationships from, from outsiders when, I was I was imagining that lots of folks in the geek culture that are reading X-Men are not surprised or not really, you know, impacted that much. They might mm -hmm. be titillated and excited or but it's mm -hmm. not this like clutching pearls sort of thing. They're they're just like, yeah, of course they are. Or the place that conflict has to happen in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I think there also becomes a question is too, is there an element that poly is a way that someone is trying to not have a conflict-centered relationship? Right, which may go more into what we were talking about with the uh, attachment styles about what they grew up in and what they saw inside their family. Yeah, yeah, there is the you know um, a lot of therapists that I've talked to have uh, kind of a view of polyamory that it's only for people that are trying to avoid intimacy, mm -hmm. and we end up getting you know a very that 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 select life of uh poly folks that are coming to us because they want help within their relationship mm -hmm. that's the other piece is like we're seeing not all the poly we're not seeing the the poly couples that are doing great and mm -hmm. doing wonderfully um yeah and definitely some people do use polyamory or open relationships as a way to just kind of like explore themselves or to to find um have that comfortable level of connection or distance mm -hmm. but well, what was interesting in that study was that it was actually more so anxious folks and secure folk that mm -hmm. tend to lean into open relationships and mm -hmm. non-monogamy than avoidant folks. Well, but, I guess, no. is it, so would it be better in some ways to even suggest that the secure and the anxious have a better chances of making this work than the avoidant uh -huh. and the disorganized? Yeah, right. They they have more of the, yeah, more of the better chances. More of the skills, yeah. Mm -hmm. More of the familiarity mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great place for us to take a break at and yeah. let that digest for folks before we come back yeah. for this second half. So stay tuned, folks. This is Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with David Kalili, also licensed marriage and family therapist, and uh, we'll be talking a bit more about Polly in this next half, and maybe get more into the geek stuff there too, beyond just what I brought up with X Men. So stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with David Collilly, licensed marriage and family therapist. So we've been talking a bit about poly and attachment styles. Especially when it comes to as where we normalize this, not just in monogamy, non-consensual non-monogamy, uh, poly, but just in, in our existence. And one of the ones that I know comes up, because there's a lot of things that go into the idea about conflicts and the angst around relationship, but not as much talked about the concept of conversion. Mm-hmm. And that's usually seeing the aspect of being happy that seeing somebody else is happy. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's it's a great concept. I thank you for uh, introducing it into our discussion because yeah, our, uh, these discussions can often look at like look out for the red flags and you know what to look out for or avoid, but what to go into and what to try to um, cultivate is definitely you know within relationships, uh, poly relationships, uh, ethical non-monogamous relationships is compersion, which is that that feeling of joy or happiness of seeing your partner be Mm -hmm. happy with another person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to give the definition to folks that haven't tried this out before a few times, because it, and it makes sense why for some people it it can, it doesn't clock right away because we just have, we've been indoctrinated to have this kind of monogamous belief that, you know, you have one partner and you don't share them, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're yours. And um, it's kind of an assumption that you will immediately, no matter what, be upset and jealous and angry if your partner is with someone, let alone Mm -hmm. having fun being with someone. Mm -hmm. And so trying to like really work on identifying which parts of yourself do find joy in your partner having joy. Is it uh, watching them, uh, you know, watching their facial expression, hearing their stories. Is it, um, you know, seeing the new energy that they have when they come mm-hmm. back from a new date? Is it the, the type of sex that you have after they come back from a new date? Is it just knowing that this person that you love is having a good time? Mm-hmm. That in and of itself can be a really nice thing. Is you know, so it's trying to, to deepen into that. Um, you know, to kind of use a different language is like the, the abundance mindset than the scarcity mindset. That mm-hmm. There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of love to give and mm-hmm. that your partner receiving love is actually a benefit to your relationship. Yeah. Well, abundance and also lack of scarcity. Yeah. And I, again, going back to that standpoint, how many things are based off of the idea of conflict, loss, not having Wolverine and Sky Cyclops arguing over Gene actually cuts back their arguments now actually really about whatever's going on in the marvel universe about mutants right they're not arguing (laughs) about her so they're not wasting all their energy about that it's actually on what it means for the mutants to survive Uh uh-huh yeah so it's like a a livelier use of energy Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which leads also to something that I've noticed in a lot of memes that have come out. Uh, mm -hmm. um, let's see. Actually, I think I got one of them handy here. Give me a second. Uh, actually, I don't have it handy here, but essentially the long and short of it is that it's, it's, you want to be with somebody who says that we're going to work together to get through this, uh -huh. uh, that the herd is going to change. Now, what's, I feel like there's a missing statement there in the standpoint of you're going to actually have to work on this. You're going to actually have to change with this person, not yeah. the person, another person does all the work of heavy lifting you or that you don't have to do any type of changing because you're in connection with them. And that also feeds back into the concerns about the borderline and the narcissism too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just this, this, this entitled feeling of, you know, you'll change me, you'll change for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm perfectly fine as I am on my own, but mm -hmm. you, you exist and you orbit around me. And there are those become who figure, oh, that the poly allows me to do that as well. And as opposed to this is actually much more about whatever the trauma, this is much more about whatever the attachment that mm -hmm. is missing for this person, especially around their trauma or this, their, their sense of what it means for them to be in relationship with others. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that kind of patriarchal view of I'm fine. You move around me, you adjust to me, you adapt to my needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also think about how within, you know, so there's this big umbrella of ethical non-monogamy and then swinging is underneath that umbrella. Mm -hmm. The swing community tends to be in the more heteronormative patriarchal style community where it is a lot of straight men and, and queer women. Mm -hmm. And my belief in my times in those circles is that the men are more queer than they're letting on to be. And, but it's this view of, you know, they have to kind of hold in this, this line. They have to kind of present in a certain way in order to maintain whatever it is they're trying to maintain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which gets into the aspect of where is masculinity, or in this case, patriarchally, patriarchally being the thing that's holding everyone in line and creating, again, a toxic environment. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a feminist-led play party would have mm -hmm. a very different feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, just the entire principle, that, I mean, going back to one thing with the X-Men, it's Scott and uh, Logan and Gene. What mm -hmm. if it had been uh, Scott, Gene, and Kitty? Uh-huh. Or uh, Rachel? Or um, Betsy? Mm -hmm. How would it all played itself out? And does it immediately center now off of Scott? No, it's still centering off of Gene or a.k.a. Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, the... So helping, you know, when I, when I think about this when working with couples, it's it's helping align the, the power and privilege as best as we can. You know, mm. that's one one way that I work with couples a lot is trying to identify where there's a misalignment in power and privilege. Mm. And to the best of my ability, obviously there are things I'm not going to be able to change on my own. But in terms of how language is used in um, mm -hmm. this type of like accessibility or uh, agreements. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. use my power as the the therapist to um, to step in and say like actually I think that that is actually 
you know, misusing the agreements or it's, um, yeah, not meeting everyone's needs or it's, you know, based on what you've told me, it's not in line with the values that you've shared. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. And so then the aspects of where power and dynamics come in, which applies to the attachment, because it's an expression of the power of uh, dynamics and whether you're secure, anxious, avoidant, or disorganized. Mm-hmm. So you're mentioning also there's ways, and I think the phrase is gather your party. Uh-huh, Yeah. <laughs> Which goes, so we talked about Marvel, let's go talk about D&D, right. or Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've just found that, you know, in the trainings that I've given in the past uh, around, you know, working with polyamory, um, it works to your benefit. If, if you can learn or if you've been in these circles with uh, Dungeons and Dragons or even like Vampire Masquerade, that was mm-hmm. my day, or Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Um, Ren Fair, Magic the Gathering. Um, you're just there's an overlap. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's because there's a lot of neurodivergent folks in these circles. And mm-hmm. it's you know, it stands to reason that neurodivergent folks would look at relationships differently and, mm-hmm. and accept it as a different thing. And a lot of the the verbiage from you know these hobbies, these these games, um, lifestyles gets transferred over into, you know, the relationship talk. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, having that, that knowledge and having that, um, those like, yeah, cultural references mm-hmm. in, in mind can be really helpful to your work with these clients. Doesn't, you don't have to, but it's helpful. Right. Because in some regards or often regards is a D and D or a venturing party or a coterie in, uh, in Vampire of the Masquerade or so forth, uh-huh. or a uh, Shadowrun group is the idea of building sort of like a found family. Yeah. And everyone's got their skill sets with inside the found family to accomplish this, the, the aspect. So to use this, the V or the hinge that you're speaking of, you've got somebody who is very good at finances. You've got another person who's very good at let's say house maintenance or maintenance in general. And the other one who's very good at um, the, the people management. Yeah. And sometimes when you, when you put that, when you put that framing to to some people, they're like, Oh, okay. Now, now polyamory makes sense to me. Like if I Mm -hmm. get some extra help around the house and sign me up, (laughs) (laughs) then then I'm not then, okay. That then I can put my jealousy to the side. Then I can. There's like the leverage there is a little bit different. Yep. Uh, and that aspect of okay, we know we're, we know we need to get the stuff for the mage. What do we need to get for the uh, for the um, for the druid as well? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know uh, that's. I wouldn't be surprised if that's an unconscious kind of part of thinking of, you know, who you're entering, who you're bringing into your circle, uh, mm-hmm. polyamory speaking, you know, mm-hmm. non-monogamy speaking is, you know, yeah, who are, who are, what energy am I bringing into my life? What, what other, you know, hobbies and, um, um, you know, things that, that I'll have access to by, by bringing in this other person in my life. What, what am I entering in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So from there, where what, what do you think are things that and books people could be looking at to help them better begin to explore this and also go into more depth around attachment as well as building your party? Yeah, um, so this, I'm going to plug my own stuff real quick, if you don't mind. That's perfectly um, fine. Please do. <laughs> uh, this recording is coming out in April. My uh, my book, Mental Health Workbook for Men, is coming out uh, March 21st uh, through Callisto Press. Uh, while it's not specific to polyamory, there's a lot of mention of ethical non-monogamy and polyamory in the book, and also talking about attachment styles. There's the last chapters on social well-being, and I talk a lot about attachment styles there. Um, so you'll see that where books are sold. Um, I also really love um, Polysecure is a recent one that came out uh, well, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is by uh, Jessica Fern, very popular book, very well written. I recommend that to people who aren't open, uh, mm-hmm. just because I really like the way that she talks about attachment. And mm-hmm. so just as an attachment text, I would definitely mm-hmm. recommend mm-hmm. that one. Um, Ethical Slut is the, the institutional book by Dossie Easton and Jane Hardy. Mm-hmm. I think they're on the like ninth or eleventh edition these days. <laughs> it's it's great. I'll um, be updating. Yeah, <laughs> but that all just again all, really all, also speaks to understanding the difference here. There is essentially sexual, a physical yeah. aspects yeah. of poly, and then there are those who are much more focused at the emotional, the day-to-day living in yeah. the world, and they're not the same thing. They share, they have an overlap, but they are not the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's reminded me of another book by a Bay Area author, Dr. Liz Powell. Um, they wrote the book, Building Open Relationships, Your Hands-On Guide to Swinging Polyamory and Beyond. Mm-hmm. So Liz, Dr. Powell also talks about just the different elements where it can be either very sexual or very romantic or somewhere in between. Mm. And there's, yeah, there's many different ways to explore this. And so to, to your listeners out there, don't feel like there's one way of going about polyamory or ethical non-monogamy and that you're doing it the wrong way and tune mm. in with yourself and what you're trying to get out of this. And what are your values? Have that be the, the guide. Exactly. Um, and ask the questions and definitely ask the questions is this much more about sex and lust or is it actually mm. about having an emotional sustainable connection and type of relationship right that is about the day-to-day week-to-week aspects of living yeah and then depending on what that is then find your path and you know mm-hmm. have fun have fun in that way well, exactly so, David, I want to thank you for coming in and having a chat here. We got at least one more chat we're going to be having before this uh, period's up. So if people want to find you and talk more, where can they find you? Yeah, um, they can find us at rousetherapy.com, R-O-U-S-E therapy.com, or Rouse Therapy uh, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If it's still around, uh, <laughs> you'll find us there. Yeah. All right. So thanks again for being here on Untying Knots. And I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. And so I hope you're enjoying this conversation and it gives you a place to be informed and start. This is not the place to end at. Uh, And we'll be back talking soon about much more multi-ethnic aspects and also being LGBT as well. So look for that in June.
So be well, be safe, and enjoy your life. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.